Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. Thanks, Brian. Um, I have a quick thing, too. Uh, guys, if you, if you need a Bible this morning, I see the ushers back there with them in hand. If you need a Bible, maybe you've forgotten yours, left it at home or in the car, just wave at them. And when Aaron comes in a minute, he'll tell you where to turn in them. Um, but um, just wave at the ushers. I'd be happy to pass one to you. I also want to ask a quick question. Of those of you who are going to Orlando tonight to the Brooklyn Tabernacle concert, um, if you, and you, you're going and you'd like to kind of sit together because there's a group of us that will try to get there around 5 o'clock when the doors open, and you'd like to sit together, we'll try to save a little section of seats. So if you're going tonight and you'd like to, now you may not want to sit with us. You may not even want to acknowledge you know us, and that's okay too. It's a big, it's a big place, and you can do that. Um, but if you'd like to sit together, would you just wait, raise your hand, okay? Somebody help me with a quick little count there. What is that? Two, four, five, six, two hands. <laughs> okay, Brian's raising them. All right, um, uh, that looks about 25. Is that about right? Is that 25? Hold them up one more second. Is that about 25 hands or so? Okay, great. Thank you. We'll see what we can do. And, um, and if, we, if we're one seat short, I'll go sit in the balcony by myself or something, all right? And we'll do that. Okay. It's always great um, to see God at work and how he's working in different lives, and I appreciate Aaron. And um, as a matter of fact, Aaron, come here for a second. I, haven't even, I didn't have a chance to see Aaron until the greeting time just a moment ago. I didn't even see him before he came in. So I'm going to pray for him, and then he's going to share God's word with us this morning, all right? Lord, I thank you for my brother. I thank you for what you're doing in his life. I thank you for his, his dear, sweet wife, and I, I thank you for just what you're doing to, for them and with them and through them. God, I pray that you would just anoint with your spirit today, and you'd speak through Aaron. And Lord, give us ears to hear what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Good morning. Um, Labor Day weekend's fun, because you see faces you're not always privileged to see here anymore. So for me, it's seeing Grayson and some other college students that I remember as not college students. Um, Bev was one of those faces. Um, I remember starting working at the church as a janitor and did a lot with Bev. Those were my two job descriptions. I did whatever Colonel asked me to do and I did whatever Bev asked me to do. Never really knew what work was going to be, but it was going to be one of those two things. So... Um, this is a special place, and it's good to be, good to be here with you guys today. Um, I wanted to talk today as, as praying about this and seeking out what the Lord had for us today. I couldn't get past the newspaper, and I couldn't get past what's happening in Houston. Um, I couldn't get past what I had seen on my Facebook, Facebook feed about Charlottesville, um, there are things happening on a national level that sometimes I just don't know what to do with. And whether it's Harvey, whether it's Katrina, whether it's Charlottesville or the Orlando shootings, there is brokenness in this world. And the world we live in seems to really like to figure out why these things are happening. Um, Be it something on a national level, be it some terrorist attack, be it something in your own life, like a failed marriage or a lost child 
We, we like to try to explain. We like to try to figure it out. I think there's really kind of two ways we tend to approach problems as we try to figure out the reasons behind them. One is a scientific approach, cause and effect. I did this, or you did this, so this is what you're getting. This is, this is the result. It's kind of, in some ways, your own fault that your child isn't following the Lord. Or it's your own fault that the marriage didn't work out. Uh, we, we like those cause and effect things because it gives us a reason. It gives us someone to blame. It gives us a place to point a finger. Other times, I think we the way we respond, the way we reason out why these things are happening is we put it in the category of a fatalistic. Well, it's just the way things are, just the way things have to be. Sometimes we spiritualize it and say, must be part of God's plan. But when I look at what's happening in the world today, I have a really hard time understanding a good God that would purpose for those things to happen. And so today, I hope not to purport a scientific understanding or worldview, not a fatalistic worldview, but a biblical worldview. I had to take off the L so it rhymed. So, <laughs> a biblical worldview. I want to look at what does the Bible say about the way this world works. And when we look at the Bible, we see that God created things good. He created things very good. And He created us very good as humans. And part of that very good element was free will. And our very good God gave us very good opportunities to use our free will in obedience and in trust of Him. And we didn't take advantage of them. And it's easy to blame it on Adam. Well, I was born in sin, but listen, if you're like me, I made my own wrong choices too. And so the biblical world says, the biblical worldview says that, says that it's a good world with a sovereign God who cares for His people. But as we look in Scripture today, I think that not only does He hear His people's cries and their petitions, but He desires their partnership. That we as the people of God, we are the church, the body of Christ, we are called to be Christ to those around us in a way that doesn't allow us to point the finger of blame with a scientific worldview and doesn't allow us to feel powerless as though there was no other option with a fatalistic worldview. So if you would turn with me to John 9. John is the fourth gospel It tells the story of Jesus. And one thing we're going to talk about today are some things we see in John's account. 
And John is very specific in the way he words things, in the way he chooses to say things. And so we're going to point out some of those things, some of the repetitions that are in the text that we might not see right away, that I think let us understand what it is John desires his readers to do. And I believe through the Holy Spirit's inspiration what God desires the readers of John to do. So John 9, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read the first seven verses. As he passed by, being Jesus, he Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but in order that the works of God might be displayed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, that not only allows us to know you, but helps us to understand your world as well. Today, we declare that this is our Father's world. And that we look forward to the new creation when you return. Father, would you allow us to see in our own lives, in our nation, and in our world, how we are best to respond to the brokenness around us. Father, help us to be ambassadors for your kingdom's sake. We pray this in your name and by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Amen. So again, as we read this, I hope you see a little bit that there is a, the disciples have kind of a scientific worldview, right? Something bad is happening in your life, it's probably because you have some sort of secret sin. Something that you haven't confessed yet. We see this also in Job, right? Where God takes that idea and turns it on its head. But it was still prevalent. And even as you read the story, you'll see the Pharisees had some of the same worldview. That specific issues in your life are related to specific sins. We like this cause and effect. We like this one-to-one ratio. Because again, it gives us something to blame. This man's sin. I was reading a commentary that said, that's a great worldview so long as you're strong and healthy and there's nothing that would point to you having a secret sin. But if you are feeling weak, and if you are sick, and if things are going poorly, that is a terrible way to understand the world. Because I know personally from times when life's been fine, and I have not been doing what I was supposed to be doing. 
I just feel better about it because no one finds out. But the Lord sees those things and the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And we like a, a world where when you do something wrong, you get something wrong back. Karma. It's a really bad thing. Um, we, 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 we think of a world where that works because we like it. It's clean. It makes sense. But the world in the Bible, the worldview that we're shown here says that your sin affects not only you, but affects the people around you. That your choices affect not only you, but the world around you. That we are not living in a closed system where I do something and I get something back, but that we're living in a web of connections where every choice you make ripples into the lives of other people. And so Jesus says, no, this isn't the way the world works. It's not because of this man's sin or because of his parents' sin. You're wrong. It's because of brokenness. This passage also has been read in a way where it leans towards fatalism. Uh, the next verse in 3 where Jesus responds, it says, it was not that this man had sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And there's a period there. And so it's almost as though it's been read before that God purposefully did this so that His power could be revealed in Him. And I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all. I don't think that there is a, a fatalistic understanding of this passage. See, I believe that there's enough bad things in the world that God doesn't have to make up some just to show off. He can show off in my mess. He doesn't need to make His own. And what Jesus says here is, but in order that, it actually says in the Greek, I'm sorry, I had to go there. It says in the Greek, in order to reveal the works of God in him, we must work. That in order that is the Greek words Allah. Uh, which means but, and hina, which is a, a purpose clause. It's telling you the reason. And a lot of times it does come after what he's explaining, as this text, if you were to put that period there, would explain it. Of the 11 times that phrase is in John, four of the times it definitely refers to what comes afterwards and not what comes before. And I believe this passage is the fifth time where it refers to what comes after and not before. That he is saying, if you want to reveal the works of God in him, in order that the works of God are revealed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me. Um, how many of you in your translation it says, I must work the works? Anybody? Okay. Um, there's actually two, it's a, what they call a textual variant, Okay. Um, where some of the Greek manuscripts say I must work and some of the textual variants say we must work. In general, 
If people are going to change and try to clarify what's being said, they make the more simple reading that makes sense. And so that's why some passages, before we found newer manuscripts, say, I must work. Um, In the Greek, it also says, we must work. And that just doesn't make sense because Jesus is talking about himself and what he is about to do. And so because that's the more cumbersome reading, we believe that's the more original reading where Jesus says we must work, that this is something that we are called to do, that it's not just something that he does, but it's something that he does with us and in us and through us, that we must work the works, it says. We must work the works of him who sent me. And so in this one phrase, Jesus used works about five times, it seems like. In order to reveal the works of God, we must work the works of him who sent me. Do you hear the wordplay that John's doing? He's trying to get you to cue in on something. That it's work. That it's work. And that it's something that we do. We do together. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva and anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. There are a lot of things in this passage. One thing I would encourage you to do if you're looking for something to do with your Sunday afternoon or your Labor Day weekend is to compare this story in John 9 with the story of the, man, the lame man who is healed in John 5. Um, in John's Gospels, there's actually six, excuse me, there's seven miracles that are called signs in John's Gospel. And they do this really cool thing called a chiastic structure, and it's really nerdy, and that's why I go to school, so I have to learn all these things. But one thing that's really neat is that in this story, Jesus isn't just restoring sight, he's offering new creation. This man was born blind. The healing of which had never been heard of before. That he was born blind. Jesus was not restoring eyesight to someone who could see before. He is creating new eyesight for someone who had been blind their whole lives. And how does he do this? He bends down and he spits in the mud and he works with the earth. One of the things we see in John 5 is that in that story, it talks about an angel hovering over the waters. And so echoes ring of Genesis 1, where the Spirit hovered over the waters. And echoes ring of Genesis 2 and 3, where God works in the earth to make man. You see what John's doing here? He's telling us that Jesus isn't just helping this man see who couldn't see before. Jesus is saying he is here to offer new creation. He is bringing the kingdom wherever he goes. And it requires your hands to get dirty. It requires work. 
And so here at the end of this passage, John once again does some wordplay. He picks up on the word sent. So Jesus said, we must work the works of him who sent me. So Jesus sent him to the pool called sent. Okay? There's something that's going on there too. There's something that that John wants us to understand, and I think he actually says it a lot more clearly in John 20, verse 21. This is when Jesus appears to his disciples after the resurrection, starting in verse 20 of chapter 20. It says, When he said these things, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples. with you as the Father has sent me even so I am sending you and when he had said this he breathed on them and said to them receive the Holy Spirit you see the healing took place because the one who was sent was obedient The healing took place because the one who was sent was obedient. Jesus is walking by. His disciples ask a question about this blind guy next to the temple. Jesus walks up, spits on the dirt, and rubs his hands all over the guy's face with it. The guy never asked to be healed. The guy doesn't really speak until this point. It's just kind of abrupt. And Jesus says, Go wash in the pool called scent. And the guy said, what are you talking? You just rubbed dirt all over. You go wash in the pool called scent. Get out of here. Leave me alone. No, he goes. And he washes. And it's when he washes that the healing takes place. You see, the sent one, being Jesus, who was sent by God, was obedient That's the other thing that ties in with chapter 5. He says, I only do what I see my Father doing. So here is Jesus again doing what he sees his Father doing. His Father at work. He's joining in the work. The same way we're called to join in the work. So Jesus, the one who was sent, rubs the dirt. And then the blind man, the man born blind, is sent. And he obeys and does the work of going to the pool and washing. When we see the world around us today, we need to understand that we've been sent. As the Father has sent Jesus, so He has sent us into the world. That you are sent. And when we hear about natural disasters, and when we hear about terrorist attacks, and when we have personal issues in our own lives or in the lives of those we care about, it matters less about the reasons we give why. And it matters more the way we respond. Jesus' answer here bypasses reason. He says, no, it's not that. No, it's not that. Let me tell you something. If you want to see the work of God revealed, you have to work the work of God. It's up to you to partner with Him in that work. It's up to you to join Him in what He's already doing, which is taking all of creation to new creation. 
John does that in the way that he repeats words. He does that in the way that he alludes to Genesis. John wants us to know that we must work the works of God. This is what he wants us to know. This is what he wants you to know today as you read John 9, that we must work the works of God. And that we must do that in a way that is empowered by the Spirit and obedient to the Father. I think there are some things in this world that God desires to do wholeheartedly, but that He refuses to do without His people's petitions and participation. There are things that God wants to do for the victims of Harvey that He would not do were it not for the time we took to pray to Him. Because He responds to his people. There's also some things that he wants to do that he won't do until you're willing to get your hands dirty. The people that you care about, the issues going on, it's not about understanding the reasons. It's about responding in a way that points them to Christ, that points them to new creation, and that brings life to the situation. And I, what I'd like you, for you to do with us real quick is just take a moment and to imagine what this church would look like if people understand, people would understand that we must work the works of God in order for them to be revealed. That it's not something that the professional pastors that get paid to be up here do. That it's not something that those that volunteer at the church on Sundays or any other time of the week, that they're the ones that do that. They're the ones that do the work of God. That it's something that someone else does. No, John wants you to know this is something that we must do. All of us. We all have a role to play. We all have a part to play we all must participate in order to see the works of God displayed. I'm going to ask Lori to come play for us. And as she is playing, I would like you to take a minute and in the quietness of this moment, ask God where He is calling you to work. How is he calling you to offer life to those in hurting situations? I was talking to a pastor friend the other day who was reminded of the Orlando shooting where Pulse was uh, attacked and people died. And he said there was a, a lesbian couple that had moved in to his neighborhood that were, had found out that he was a Christian and a pastor and really 
tried to get at him, if that makes sense. They were um, overly affectionate and all these things that he could see was a change in behavior once they recognized he was around. And it was really out of spite and out of hurt against people who called themselves Christians that were not acting like Christ toward them. And so after the shooting, he's, he talked to his family and they decided that they were going to take brownies to that couple next door and let them know that they care about them and that they're so sorry what had happened. Another pastor I know who had sent an email to every person a part of the LGBTQ community that he knew, letting them know that he was so sorry for their loss as a community and was praying for them and that he loved them and cared about them. And someone responded back with so much anger and hate saying, it's people like you that are the reason this happened. You hear that scientific effect? We like having someone to blame. We like having someone to point the finger to. Jesus wants us to get beyond pointing the finger. And he wants us to get our hands in the mud. So how is he calling you to work the works of God? Will you be someone who is obedient to the sending today? The passage closes. The last verse says, So he went and washed and came back seeing. Father, that is our prayer today. Lord, that we would see your world as you've created it, as a good world with a sovereign God who cares about the people and yet who allows us to make choices. Father, would we as your people be able to see the spiritual blindness and not point fingers and not feel powerless. But Lord, would you give us a heart like yours for them in their brokenness? Lord, would we be obedient to your sending? We pray this in your name. Amen. I often ask you a question, it's a very simple question, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? As I was praying, as Aaron encouraged us just to pray, I was asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? And there were some things he spoke. So what's he saying to you? And would you be willing now in this moment to say, Lord, I'll, I'll say yes. Even before I know, I'll say yes. I'll obey. I'll go. I'll do whatever it is. Can I tell you, I know that God's up to something. He's 
He's been stirring in my heart all year long and, and things that I've been praying about and sharing more and more. And, and even as Aaron was talking this morning, I see this fit in to what God's doing and how he's stirring. And I want to challenge you just to say yes to the Lord. Just say yes to what he wants to do in you and through you. I've shared this recently because it's been on my heart so much recently, but this whole idea, and Aaron brought it out this morning, that the word we use for layperson or laity, there's a Greek word for that, all right? It literally means the people of God. There is no Greek word for clergy. There's no concept, really, of clergy as a professional ministerial force in the New Testament. It's not there. It's the people of God being the ministers of God by the power of God to a world that needs God. That's what it is. That's who you are. You are. How many ministers do we have here this morning? Raise your hand. If you are a child of God, that's you. You're a minister. You may not like that. Some days I don't like it. All right? That's who you are. And that is the power of the gospel. God working. I'm going to read you something. Then we're going to close, all right? Um, Armenta, not Armenta, Divina showed this to me this morning. Um, let me see if I can find it. This technology's not my friend. Um, she, her family in Connecticut, uh, she was up there visiting and was praying for a church, and God brought one, and she can tell you that story. But on their website, their pastor has this, and I love this. This is great. Aaron, you should put this on your resumes when you get ready. All right, when you're at that point, you should put this on your resume, all right? They're not going to teach you this, though, in, in seminary. Um, <laughs> this is the pastor. He became the pastor of New Life in August of 2006. He has a hard time planning ahead. He hates confrontation, struggles in his prayer life, enjoys doing nothing, tends to be self-centered, coast on talent, avoid difficult people, rarely takes initiative, and is often irresponsible. He has a hard time finishing things, remembering things, or staying on task. But in spite of all of this, God has not rejected him, but instead called him to be the pastor of new life in order to magnify the amazing grace of God and to demonstrate to all that Jesus alone deserves the glory. I like that because the reality is that's all of us. Can't you relate to that? We all are that way. I don't like confrontation. I'd rather be lazy than diligent. All right? Quite honestly, I can be ornery and cantankerous with the best of them. And in spite of all of that, the Lord says, I want to work with you and in you and through you. You are my people. That's who you are. Lord Jesus, help us. Help us be what you already have made us to be, which is your people. Lord, cause us to see. Open our eyes like you did this blind man. Open our eyes because, Lord, we're blind in many ways. And open our eyes so that we see. Lord, make our hearts soft that we'll receive. Lord, cause us to believe that the will of God also involves the work of God, that they do go together. Lord, tear down the lies that, that just bind us, that trap us. And, oh, God, glorify yourself in this place, in Palm Bay, in this county, in this nation, and across this world. Glorify yourself through your people. It is what you have chosen to do. 
And Lord, we surrender. I surrender to that. We surrender to that. And we thank you for what you're doing. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.